U.S. military aircraft, Papa 8 Alpha. This is Jelly Liu Shrimp. China had 70 of the National Islands, including Liu Shrimp, and its adjacent waters. Leave immediately and keep far off so as to avoid any misunderstanding. It's a routine occurrence for us on these flights. Uh, you know, it happens throughout the flight. Uh, where they come over and then we just go back with our standard response and it really has no effect on any operations or anything we do. Philippine military aircraft, I'm warning you again, leave immediately or you will bear for responsibility for all the consequences. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine vehicles moving. Still looks like nothing along the runway. Uh, no aircraft present. It's making sure that we maintain uh, the rights that we have as a military aircraft to fly in international airspace, maintain our presence in the area, and show that you know we're not uh, worried about the buildup that's happening and that we are going to continue to stay down here in the South China Sea. What you just heard was a Chinese soldier on a Chinese man-made island that is 100 miles off the Philippines coast telling the U.S. Air Force to leave or be fired upon. This is something that happens on a daily basis in the South China Sea. Why is the South China Sea a big deal? The South China Sea is one of the busiest shipping lanes of the world. $3 trillion worth of trade happens here, and rich in natural resources and hydrocarbon reserves. Malaysia claims parts of the South China Sea, as does Brunei, Taiwan, Philippines, Vietnam, and even Indonesia. However, China has essentially claimed approximately 90% of the South China Sea as part of their sovereign territory largely due to historical ties. This has caused strong geopolitical tensions among neighboring countries, but China has remained persistent in their endeavors to take control of the South China Sea by illegally taking control of islands in neighboring countries and land recognition efforts to build military bases that surround our waters. Recent events involving a sinking of a Vietnamese fishing boat by the Chinese Navy and a standoff between a Petronas drill ship and a Chinese surveyor ship that prompted Australian and United States warships to come to Malaysia's aid. Amidst the COVID-19 pandemic and economic recession looming, Malaysia could lose its ability to maintain geopolitical stability and peace through no fault of their own. Whether we like it or not, a Cold War is brewing. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pendulum Show. My name is Yodin Kumar and the topic at hand of today is the South China Sea dispute. And we have brought together a very special guest from My Diplomacy, Mr. Zai Mozani, who is the resident advisor at My Diplomacy. And My Diplomacy is a youth NGO that has um, focused their efforts towards raising the concerns of diplomacy around Malaysia and empowering youth discussions around diplomacy. So, without wasting any more further time, um, I'm actually going to be diving into these issues in three parts. The three parts consist of the past, the present, and the future. And we believe that in order to fully understand the issue at hand, we need to go into these three parts, right? So, I'm going to let my colleague Zaim over here take the floor when I ask him, essentially, so in order to understand the past, right, about this issue with the South China Sea dispute, Mr. Zaim, um, what is the origins of this dispute and how far does it go back? All right. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, love the show. I'm listening, just listen to it and, I, and I'm a big fan. No problem, today. man. Um, do I have to, don't have to call me Mr. Man. I'm so old. I know I look old, but you don't okay, have to call me Okay, my bad. Okay, so... It's <laughs> <laughs> all good, it's all good. So, so um, let's start with the origins. This is a, um, the South China Sea is a very complex mm -hmm. issue. Okay, um, there is no, there is. I mean, I'd love to give you a, a single sentence into mm -hmm. the history, but it's very, it's very, it's very complex. Um, if you, if there's even a Wikipedia page on the history of the South China right. Sea, a dedicated page, right? Is, right? <laughs> a dedicated page mm -hmm. on the history, uh, not even the issue, the history, um, and and. Uh, we can talk about historicals, which I don't. Know, I'm not going to talk about historical context. I think mm. it's just too long, too broad. But it goes back uh, cent uh, cent mm. centuries, right? Hundreds, mm. hundreds of years. Uh, but many people, um, if you're diligent enough, look at the starting point uh, in uh, during the World War, mm. World War Two. 
this is the starting point usually, right? Uh, what happened is uh, these islands, they're actually, we're talking about a few islands in mm. the South China Sea, right? There's uh, mm-hmm. Paracel Islands, which is near Vietnam, and there's Pearly Islands, which is near Philippines mm. and Malaysia, okay? So uh, these are the two islands that are in question, that are mm. sort of important. And and what happened is during World mm. War II, um, these islands historically kind of kind of belong to China, okay? I'm using these words uh, not, not, not legally, but they kind of belong to China. Japan took over during World mm-hmm. War Two. Uh, then, the Japan mm-hmm. lost. Then, you know, US forced Japan to relinquish their their sovereignty over the mm-hmm. islands. Uh, then Vietnam said, "Your man, those my islands, okay." Mm-hmm. So then China was like, "What?" Right? They're like, "Hey, those my islands too." So then there's a dispute, mm-hmm. right, in terms of the territorial sovereignty of mm-hmm. these islands. And then you fast forward 50 years from World War 1950s. Um, what happened was, as you know, Vietnam uh, was split, mm-hmm. right? North and South during mm-hmm. the Vietnam War. North Vietnam said to China, go ahead and take those islands. It's all yours. South China said no. But you know, guess who won? North, China, North Vietnam won. Became, became the, the communist Vietnam mm-hmm. that we know today. Um, then uh, Vietnam won when, they, when they, they became a Chinese Republic. They want to take back the islands from China. Mm-hmm. China said no. Gado. Had a fight, mm. right? Had a war. Uh, Vietnam lost the war. China uh, got control of the the islands in uh, near, mm. near Paracel. And then twenty years uh, later, nothing had much happened um, up until the two thousands. So let me cut a long mm. story short. This is what let me summarize this whole uh, history, right? Japan took over the mm. islands from China. China didn't like it, so China wanted the islands back. Then Vietnam said it, it, it mm. is theirs. Then Vietnam lost those islands after mm. a war with China. China still said it's, it's theirs. And now what will happen is there's a dispute amongst many of the littoral. So littoral are the countries with coast, mm. right? The littoral ASEAN states, which is Philippines, uh, Malaysia, mm. Brunei. Brunei? What? Brunei? What? <laughs> uh, Vietnam. Uh, and uh, most recently, uh, Indonesia. They have come in the free and they have started to claim their sovereignty over the islands in Southeast, uh, South China Sea. Let's not forget Taiwan. Taiwan is uh, the historical um, mm. claimant to all of this. As you know, it's a long story, but Taiwan, they lost to PRC China, ROC mm. Taiwan, right? Taiwan is part of this, but Taiwan is not really a, a big factor. La. But what's happening now is this, uh, this a massive dispute um, across uh, territorial disputes yeah. in the islands. That's the first thing. The second thing is just a dispute amongst US and China. They're not fighting over sovereignty. They're fighting over interpretation of international law mm. of the seas, mm. which is a separate thing. Yeah. So uh, like I said, mm. it's complex, man. It's very complex. Yep. Yep. No. Uh, that is why we actually told this, uh, chose this topic, right? It was a very relevant yet complicated topic, which is why we, we are trying to basically break it down into layman's terms as much as possible. And also another reason why we actually chose this topic is uh, there was a recent event that actually happened and uh, involved a Malaysian vessel in uh, yep. an area claimed by Malaysia, yeah, and an area claimed by Malaysia in the South China Sea, which basically yep. prompted a Chinese um, surveyor ship, right, surveyor to ship, yeah. cause a standoff, which then prompted a joint, um, a joint exercise with. Australia and three American warships, right? And basically, that lasted yep. over over quite some time. So the thing is, okay. so while Malaysia was, uh, and the thing is, this this Malaysian exploration um, in these waters was for natural gas and the natural oil uh, exploration exercises, right? So the thing is, yep. in in lieu of this, right, while Malaysia is exercising their rights towards drilling their oil, uh, getting extracting natural gas, they are facing threats from China, and that is prompting action from the U.S. and other forces to come and to come to Malaysia's aid in the midst of the standoff. But eventually, the standoff was cleared off and it's been called off. But there's a greater call for concern here, right? So, which leads me yep. to my question: um, What is Malaysia's stand and inclusive of ASEAN stand in regards to the South China Sea. Okay, so mm-hmm. as you know, right, um, we have to we can't talk about ASEAN yet, but we can we can talk we should talk about the member states of ASEAN mm-hmm. first. Member states of ASEAN are fighting each other mm-hmm. in terms of claiming sovereignty over the features and islands, the features and islands over yeah. the South China Sea. Um, so 
to to speak of an ASEAN stance, um, well, there is no mm-hmm. ASEAN stance to begin mm-hmm. with, right? Unfortunately, that, that is the case. Um, because of the uh, the squabbling between ASEAN mm-hmm. member states, so Philippines against Malaysia, against Vietnam, against Brunei, right? They are fighting against each other. They are fighting over the the different sovereignty, and yeah, the sovereignty claims is just, if I can just boil it down, it's all about all about resources, mm-hmm. right? It's all about money. It's all about oil. This region is full of oil. Um, now, having said that, uh, when China started to become more aggressive in 2009 onwards, 2012 to be exact, uh, ASEAN came together to de- to negotiate for a code of conduct, COC, and the COC is a is a mechanism to resolve uh, differences uh, between China and ASEAN uh, in a few in a few areas, right? So, talking about uh, how do you manage um, mm. resources in this in this uh, South China Sea? How do you manage uh, potential crises mm. and conflicts when it comes to uh, the different uh, dangerous maneuvering and navigations mm. in the sea? Um, and how do you sort of dis- legally define the scope of the yeah. South China Sea? So those are, those are mm-hmm. very technical things. But ASEAN has been negotiating a COC for the past eighteen mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. and still mm-hmm. not concluded yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically, it is very clear that there are a lot of complexities that lie even internally, right, within a regional collective as well, right? So, which is why this Quite. issue is even more pressing. So, even there's no cohesiveness within these nation states against foreign powers because we all have our internal squabbles as well. So, um, to better take this forward, um, Bamba, please take the show. So I want to talk about China for a bit. So yep. basically this issue has been on a, on a slow burn for quite some time, right? Like as you said, the the dispute in modern times basically goes all the way back to World War II. Uh, Taiwan used to be a claimant, but uh, there was no major military confrontation, at least involving the the spread list like Malaysia, Philippines and China until uh, much more recently. And uh, we did mention the incident which happened just a few weeks ago in the midst of the COVID pandemic. Yep. But there's also been a, a, a rise in the frequency of these incidents and also like a steady buildup of military infrastructure. China is like reclaiming islands in the spread list, yep. building airstrips and so on. So my question basically is why has China become so aggressive in the past few years in pursuing these claims? What so has changed? Question. Yeah. It's a good question. So in 2009, um, in response to China, uh, in response to Vietnam and Malaysia claiming uh, over uh, the features in South China Sea, China sent a letter to the Secretary General Ban Ki Moon at the time, Ki Moon, yeah, in 2009. And what he said in the letter was, in short, yo man, all those features in South China Sea, they are mine. Mm. He, basically, he basically claimed absolute sovereignty over the South China Sea because South China Sea, right? <laughs> so. Uh, and obviously, the people are not happy about this, right? Or the members are not happy. But it wasn't until 2012 when Xi Jinping... Now, this is a very important guy, right? Xi Jinping, when he came to power, Xi Jinping is a unique president. He's not a non- normal president like the other ones, Hu Jintao and all these people before him. Xi Jinping wants to make China great again. I'm not saying that to, to mock Trump, but it's real, right? So because he has a thing called China's destiny, China's dream. Look it up, it's real, right? And for him... Because China, China needs to grow economically, right? They need to have a lot of uh, resources, more specifically hydrocarbons. And if you look at South China Sea, uh, China estimates that is about twenty-five to what forty billion dollars worth of hydrocarbons and natural gas in South China Sea. U.S. estimate is a bit low. They say it's about set two to eight billion. I don't know, billion or trillion, but there's a lot of money, right? Uh, and and so China wants to leverage. They want to make sure that they have a, they have a, they have dips first dips on the on the oil. Secondly, is security. China is actually very much exposed. If you look at China, the Chinese um, map, right? They they don't have the same advantage that America has. America has do practically uh, they're pretty much safe against external threats, right? If you look at the map of US, there's the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean and the Caribbeans, come on, man. They own the damn mm. uh, region, right? They own the, the, all of Americas. But China is exposed to many, many enemies, right? Rivals, South Korea, Japan, now Vietnam. And and China wants to make sure that they have a buffer. So they look at uh, South China Sea mm. as a buffer. Therefore, that's, that's why they're occupied. 
despite in the Parasol Islands, they, they reclaimed uh, the islands, uh, they constructed um, civilian and military uh, buildings on these mm -hmm. uh, features. Um, sorry, I forgot to mention that the area that they're claiming is called the Nine Dash Line. The Nine Dash Line. Uh, and for China, even though in 2016, there was an arbitration case involving Philippines and China where China lost. So the court decided that the permanent court of arbitration decided that the nine dash line was bogus. It was fake news, not even real, right? Despite losing the case, China has until today maintained that they have absolute sovereignty over the nine dash line. And it's primarily because of security uh, and oil. Uh, there are other factors at play, but for me, I, I think those two factors are very important for China. And that's why they are very uh, eager to be in this region. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, like, we were even talking about this in preparing for this episode, how uh, China, like, geopolitically, like, they are restricted by, by all this island change in, chains in the Pacific, and mm -hmm. so they, they feel that they could be cut off at any point, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I also want to get into what internal factors could be at play here. Like, for example, China is, is going through a, a time of transition. It's, it's facing economic pressure. Growth is not as strong as it used to be. Uh, China yeah. has a demographic uh, crisis also because they have an aging population. Aging population. Are these also playing into their, their stance on this now? Uh, well, I mean, there are obviously internal and external factors, right? When, when you talk about international relations, right? When a, when a state or a country makes a foreign policy, it's not just external pressures. It's not just, for China, it's not just US or J Japan or South Korea. It's also internal pressures. Uh, now, whether the, I, I don't know what is sort of the, the how, how important either factors are, whether external are more important than internal, I don't know. But one thing for sure is, there are um, internal factors that are at play. One thing that we detected, right, is that, uh, China has been using nationalism. There is an upsurge of nationalism in, in the country, but they've also used the South China Sea as an issue of sovereignty that China has to defend their, their territories at all costs. Mm. Uh, and, and, and it's very interesting because if, um, I mean, China, Chinese under, China under Xi Jinping has um, re-envisioned themselves as the continuation of the Chinese dynasties. And this is a big thing because uh, Mao, Never Mao made a clean break when he took over when he defeated the the Kuomintang nationalist, um, and he they, he formed the PRC. He said that the previous people were the bourgeois, you know, these are corrupt, you know, these are not the right Chinese. We are the we are the best Chinese, uh, but Xi Jinping said no, this is the Chinese civilization, uh, and and you know it's very interesting how he sort of repackaged China as sort of the continuation of Chinese Chinese uh, civilization, and part of this is offer nationalism. So. He will say things like, uh, I mean, he won't say, but the propaganda will, all, will always say, oh, if if uh, if ever ASEAN or US uh, agree, uh, it provoke us in South China Sea, we have to defend our territories because those are our sovereign uh, territories, which obviously, legally speaking, is not not true. Um, but I, I like to think that China is a very pragmatic country, right? Uh, in a sense that, uh, I'm a realist, uh, the, the national interest for them uh, is is essentially these two things, right? Economy, economic growth, because that's how the this is uh, how they are based their legit legitimacy on performance legitimacy. So if I give you economic growth, I'm your government. If not, die lah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, and and the other piece is security, right? Uh, is that I need to be able to uh, show that I have control over this region and I have strong military might that I can uh, sh uh, I can. Um, uh, intimidate uh, not just ASEAN but also the American, yeah, the US. Okay, so uh, we have been talking at the level of the the state actors, governments, and uh, why they are behaving in the way they are. But uh, I also want to get into how ordinary civilians in this region in the in Southeast Asia are being affected right now. So I know that like in the Philippines, for example, the fishermen are restricted from the uh, usual fishing grounds and so on. Uh, how far does this go, and is it even uh, affecting civilians in Malaysia as well? Okay, so we can break it down into a few things, right? So, I, I would say the countries that are most affected, most affected by the by China's uh, China's uh, aggressive uh, policy, Vietnam and Philippines, because these countries they rely a lot of their economy on um, on 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 the on the fisheries the fisheries industries, right? Uh, 
Uh, and and because of China's uh, aggressive policy, they they deployed this um, this group called the People's Armed Forces Maritime Militia. These are all the fishing boats, man. They're freaking. They actually fishermen. True story. They actually fishermen, right? Part time lah. Full time. Their job is just to harass fishermen from from uh, from collecting their goods in, in in the South China Sea. So those countries are actually affected. And Vietnam is very naughty. Vietnam actually created their own military militia, and now they are fighting. So fishermen versus fishermen. Oh, not bad, huh? <laughs> What's going on, you guys? Right now, Malaysia, yes, to some extent, Malaysia. The discount, the recent dispute involves the joint development area between Vietnam and Malaysia. Uh, they are both looking for exploring for oil and natural gas. So we are affected uh, in, in that sense, but I don't think it's as bad as Vietnam and and, and Philippines. But here's the thing, right? Then the question that people ask is, why should I care about South China Sea? It's so far removed from my mind, right? Okay, let me give you an analogy, right? Let's just say the three, the the still three brothers, right? Siblings, right? Let's say the uh, brother A is a the the strongest one, right? Strong, he got the most toys, right? Mm. <laughs> He's the oldest, right? Brother B, second lah, you know, maybe one year younger than mm. brother A. Not many, I mean, growing amount of toys, his toys are growing, you know. When brother B, uh, youngest, maybe seven years apart, accident maybe, uh, and you know not not so strong, right? Weakest of the lot. Now let's just say that they uh, in the they have they live in separate rooms, but there's a corridor, okay? Now brother B and brother C, they live nearer to their 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 rooms. Are uh, they they make up? Uh, their rooms are located in the most parts of the corridor, whereas brother A, his room is far away from the corridor, very very far away. But what happens is your brother C, right? And every day you see brother A and brother B fighting, right, in the corridor, fighting, fighting, fighting. Sometimes the fight happens in your room. You're like, what is going on, man? I just want to be in peace, and I want to have passage. I want to have free passage to the corridor so I can go to the kitchen, right? But brother A, brother B, they keep fighting, right? Some one day, one of the days, you get punched in the face, maybe, and this, this, this getting punched in the face is getting more and more frequent. Uh, and it's annoying you. It may, it's also hurting you, right? Uh, it's not safe for you, also. So this is what's happening. Brother C is actually ASEAN, Malaysia, and the other other ASEAN states. Brother A is America. Brother B is China, and and the the the, the sibling rivalry um, is not healthy for the region because, like it or not, this region is one of the busiest waterways in the world. Uh, uh, it's about four four trillion worth of trade yeah. passes through this region, right? And 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 look at it this way. Uh, If this, if tensions increase further, and they can, what will happen is there could be a a risk of armed conflict happening in the region between U.S. and China. And what happened is, uh, Sin Long mentioned this, right? Singapore PM said that there could be a situation where ASEAN member states will be forced to choose between U.S. and China, and that would undermine the strategic autonomy of a lot of member states in the in the region. Because at the end of the day, but the sea, you know this, right? If you have siblings. When my brothers fight, I don't want to take sides. You know what I mean? I don't want to take sides because it's not nice. I think you know you fight, you fight lah. You you solve your amongst yourself. But I don't want to get involved. I'm not a mediator. I'm 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 not get involved in this, right? So this is why it matters, right? We need to start thinking of the situation as something that will affect us eventually in terms of our own economy. Okay. Yeah. And uh, on that subject, uh, it, what is Malaysia doing right now? In terms of its response, like in terms of uh, economically, militarily, um, yeah. and how has it how has it changed? Because we are seeing like very frequent change of regime in Malaysia itself. So, how is this affecting our stance towards uh, China? Sure, I I haven't talked much about Malaysia because <coughs> sorry, there's not much talk, not not much to talk about. No, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, under Najib. Okay, let me let's 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 let. I'm trying to let me just simplify this, right? Under Mahathir's time, Mahathir 1.0, 1983 to 1981, 1983, 2003, 2003, uh, Mahathir has always been the man who would always balance amongst great powers. He he would he would basically he's a non-aligned, independent, right? He doesn't take sides. Um, didn't he didn't take sides during uh, U.S. and US, Soviet Union during Cold War? He didn't take he would not take sides now, right? Um, And he will always fight for the small guys, the small states, right? That's why he's known as the spokesperson for the mm-hmm. third world. Big, he's a big thing on the soft soft development, right? Big, 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 massive deal. If you go to African countries, mm-hmm. they love Mahdi, right? They respect him. Um, now, then uh, Palak came, not much happened. 
uh, then Najib came. <clears throat> now Najib wanted to develop Malaysia, right? He wanted to transform the country. And um, at the time, he wasn't, I mean, it's a bit more complicated, but I'm, I'm simplifying this. Um, Najib was good with everyone. He didn't piss off anybody. He didn't speak out against a lot of people. He was very good, right? Everyone loved Najib. They called him the second, the foreign, foreign affairs minister mm-hmm. we never had, right? He's very good in terms of international relations. But because of this um, issue that he faced at home, uh, America was outspoken against his administration. So he, he got a bit majuk, right? He went to, he pivoted to China, right? He pivoted to China. Uh, because at the time, Xi Jinping launched the Belt and Road Initiative. Right and and he took advantage. He wanted to leverage on their development funds to to help Malaysia uh, grow, right in terms of the infrastructure. Um, and then Najib lost. Madi came back. Now Madi, uh, if you realize, Madi pushed back against China, especially the BRI, uh, and he wanted to sort of steer towards a more neutral uh, mm-hmm. policy, right? So this is the context of uh, of 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 the administrations that we have in terms of the South China Sea itself. Um, Malaysia realistically can't do much, right? The, the only way we can uh, overcome China is if we act together, but we can't. ASEAN, they, grew, they only work by consensus and Cambodia is always in the pockets of China. Sorry if you're listening to Sadaw Kamadaw, it's the truth. Um, and and, and uh, so what happened recently is that when, um, when, when there was a government change and then the COVID happened, What's interesting about like, found was that previously the Malaysian uh, Navy, right, has, uh, I mean, they, 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 not to say they're passive, but they don't counter China's uh, aggressive um, move in the South China Sea, right? They don't counter the harassment. But um, in, in Feb- it, it happened in March, Feb- uh, March April, when, when, when the Chinese um, ship, the surveyor ship, right, the, they wanted to, they want the encroach into our EEZ, Inclusive Economic Zone, and then you know what? This is and this shocked a lot of people, especially the the experts that are studying this area, right? They were shocked because uh, Malaysia sent the navy. They sent a damn navy, man. Mm. They sent a navy to tell China to f mm. off. And then Vietnam got excited. Vietnam was like, "Oh my God, let me join in the fun." And then US got excited. US has this thing called FONOPS, Freedom of Navigation mm. Operations. US was like, "Oh my God, just so happened I'm in the region. Let me just catch up also. Let me just." Let me just, you know, disturb this Chinese um, uh, uh, mission, right? And then Australia came in, boom, right? And then boom, there's so much excitement in the region. Also dangerous, right? Because mm-hmm. tensions, right? Um, and, but it doesn't mean that Malaysia is sending the Navy. doesn't mean that this is going to change Chinese behavior. It doesn't. Let me give you context. China has the biggest Coast Guard in the world, right? And, you know, speaking of the Coast Guard, all of their Coast Guard is, the, is even bigger than some U.S. Navy destroyers. It's huge. Like, it's huge. Yeah, it's, you Google it. It's freaking huge, right? Um, and in the region, you, China has the strongest navy because uh, uh, Xi Jinping has modernized the, the, mm-hmm. the navy. The, it's called PLA Navy, PLAN, mm-hmm. right? Um, so PLAN is strong under Xi Jinping. So because of this, I'm a realist. If I see a strong man, right? In, in the, if I see a strong guy and I'm, a, and I'm not so strong, I'm not going to fight mm-hmm. the guy, man. I'm not strong enough. I don't have military might. So Malaysia cannot mm. do much. That's why we've been we've not we've been pretty silent on the issue. Shamuni came out with a statement in uh what last month and he said that we are working behind closed doors, diplomacy mm. is how it is, right? Um but realistically there's not much we can do unless we go back to the basics and start looking at ASEAN and ASEAN push back against uh, China. Could work. Yeah. Uh I, I think it's interesting that you you mentioned that Najib sort of gone along with everyone and uh, I've also read some uh, foreign policy people saying that uh, Najib was a very uh, foreign policy minded prime minister uh, he thought strategically in that way but uh, I think maybe you can get into how this contrasts with uh, Tun Mahathir because when Tun Mahathir came along uh, first of all he ran against he essentially he did run against Chinese uh, involvement in our economy development projects but at the same time, he has bad relations with all the major powers in the region, right? Like, he, there's a dispute with India, uh, historically doesn't get along with Australia, mm. yep. <laughs> uh, 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 doesn't really get along with America either. So, uh, this put us in a bad position to, to sort of defend our sovereignty or to defend our claims when yep, he yep. was in, in charge. 
That's a good question. <laughs> um, I think minute, um, so the Mahade era, right? Mahade 1.0. Um, he he was very interesting because when he stood up for the third world, the 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 South, right? Um, the, the the developing countries, uh, African countries, mm, the Muslim world, right? OIC. He he obviously was very outspoken. So he spoke out against a lot. Uh, he spoke out against the West. Um, and because of that, many people are not happy about it, right? You, you may recall one of his most infamous remarks is that the Jews rule the world by proxy. Yeah, man, it's crazy, man. You might maybe the suddenly, right? When you publish this podcast, that part might be blurb. For no reason. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> lobby, Jews, lobby. Uh, no, but it's real, right? I mean, I mean, I'm talking about uh, what yeah, happened, yeah. right? I'm talking about what Mahadi did. So, anyways. Um, And people were not happy with it. So when Patla came over, Patla wanted to reset, reset this whole thing, right? But it was Najib that actually had the, the charisma, the charm, to speak to world leaders and say that Malaysia is different now. Malaysia is new, and Malaysia wants to be your friend, right? So, and in that regard, I think he did it very well. He even, I mean, he didn't do it with Israel, but I think he muted the criticism that Malaysia would otherwise uh, project onto Israel, right? So. Um, Those are the dynamics. Najib wanted to to reset. Now, when 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 um, on on China's Chinese relations, the reason why I think um, when Mahadi came back, he wanted to retain strategic autonomy, go back to the middle, right? Is that because he saw what happened in Sri Lanka and Pakistan, the 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 debt trap diplomacy of BRI, Belt Road Initiative. Uh, and he felt that the 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 infrastructure projects, uh, the East Coast uh, railing. He felt that there was element of corruption. You know, you know, they inflated the 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 contract price, right? And and he, and he wanted to sort of do something to to counter that. But to be frank, right? Foreign policy is the extension of domestic policy, right? The politicians usually use foreign policy as a tool for polit- for domestic agenda. Mm. Uh, and I think Mahdi did the same because even though Mahdi's rhetoric was against China, um, the East Coast railing is still happening, right? Uh, a lot of projects that are supposed to be cancelled under BRI is mm-hmm. pretty much happening um, because China has the funds, China has the money to fund a lot of projects that uh, we would otherwise need to borrow from, right? We need to borrow money for the project, but China's funding it. Well, not really funding it, but we get favorable preferential rates. Yeah. Um, so, countries are countries. Are the way I see, right, are pragmatic. If you have money, actually, not not just countries. We also are pragmatic, right? If you have a friend that's going to go to club and then brunch, uh, you know, brunch drinks, we're not going to pay ourselves. Hey, man, go for it, bro. You're going to pay the drinks. I'm going to drink it, right? I don't want to pay for it, but thanks. I'm a free ride on your on your on your rich mm-hmm. ass budget, right? So, same way. The way I see it, what happens at the the international level happens at the same thing. Your friends level is the same thing. How we act as human beings is pretty much similar to how um, states or countries act. Now I could be wrong. There are different perspectives. So the people that are not realist, they might kill me. So, but I could be wrong. So this is how I think uh, countries act. Right. Right. Okay. So uh, there's this there's actually this new factor which is the American involvement in the region that has been like creeping into our conversation, and. Uh, Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but historically, like if you go back to after the Vietnam War, the US sort of withdrew from the region, uh, did not have a massive presence here except like to protect uh, Taiwan, and then they had rapprochement with China, and for many years there was not a, a major US military presence here. But uh, under Obama, like they have pivoted back to the Pacific, right? And uh, yeah. and yeah, and as you mentioned, like all these freedom of navigation exercises, flying over these uh, Chinese bases in the South China Sea. So it appears like they are bringing their resources to bear, uh, to combat China's claims here. Why has the U.S. policy changed? What are their interests? Uh, what what interests of theirs are at stake here, that uh, they are playing into this this change of stance? Sure. So let, let me give you context, right? Um, U.S. never left the region. Uh, after the World War, after World War Two, when they were victorious. Uh, they they signed a. They created a system called the San Francisco Treaty or San Francisco, San Francisco system, right? And this is a defense system whereby 
they signed a number of mutual defense uh, treaty with um, with Taiwan, with Japan, with Philippines, uh, and that was to ensure their their security, but also was to ensure ensure Americans' interest in the region. Now, to be honest, America didn't really care when China was claiming sovereignty in 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 the seventies, eighties, and nineties. They didn't really care. They only cared until they only cared. They only took notice in two thousands when China uh, grew stronger economically, and China was proving to be a challenger to US, right? And that's when US took notice, uh, and that's why in two thousands onward, South China Sea became the playground, the arena for great power rivalry. Uh, and what's interesting is in during Obama's time, um, so Clinton. Clinton, Bush, Obama. Clinton was a guy who wanted to engage China, so he was engaging China. Let's be friends. Uh, let's be friends. He was also playing China with Japan. Uh, it's a long story, lah. It's like boyfriend girlfriend, right? Oh, I cheat on you. I cheat on you, right? Mm. <laughs> so like, Clinton was cheating on Japan with China. You know that, right? If you kind of make kind of make sense, right? Okay. Balance, lah. <laughs> yeah. In, in, I, I think it's called balancing, right? We balance. I balance you with this, right? Right. Uh, balancing. So, Bush when Bush came when Bush uh, came to power, Bush was actually pretty good with China. You know, people don't know this, right? But Bush during uh, Bush's uh, administration, China's relations with uh, with US was actually pretty damn good. It was damn good, you know. Um, uh, Bush called China a, res- a responsible stakeholder. This is during Hu Jintao. Remember Hu Jintao? People used to make fun of his name. Who's who? Right? <laughs> Then he came to over, right? Xi Jinping took over, and I think this is why everything changed. When Xi Jinping took over, Xi Jinping wanted to make Chinese China great again, uh, and Obama was Obama was not really interested in foreign policy. I know it sounds weird. Obama was actually interested in the economy because at the time the economy was going down was going downhill. But Obama eventually he launched the pivot to Asia in two thousand and nine, two thousand ten. But he only started to do it um, in full swing after after he won the the second term. 2012 onwards, 2013. That's why Obama went to uh, Southeast Asia. He went to Malaysia twice mm-hmm. uh, in his second term. Now, what's interesting is um, when China started to build all these military bases, right, in uh, in the South China Sea. Obama actually didn't want to do anything. Obama was the you know when when Philippines um, asked asked US for help when um, China was harassing one of their Features. It's called the Scarborough Shore, right? It was just a standoff, 2012. Obama didn't do shit. <laughs> didn't do shit. He's just like, oh shit, that's bad. Oh yeah, can put a statement and just say statement. Yeah. That's bad, right? Didn't do anything. And then uh, he only started to take action 2015. That is when Fornop became a thing. Now Fornop is sounds simple, right? Freedom of navigation operations. It's not so simple. America has been doing this thing called freedom of navigation. Operations since 1970s, where where they go around the world and do they, they sort of send their navy and they tell the country that is, I think like an asola. So you know the international law, right? You're supposed to follow international law, but some countries are like, oh, you cannot, you cannot uh, pass my waters without asking for my permission. Hmm. It's against international law. And US is like, fuck off lah, right? Ah, uh, uh, here, phone up you, right? <laughs> so when they phone up you, they're challenging your legal claim to. Illegal behavior in the national law, right? This is what it's about. But uh, Obama's follow-up in South China Sea only started 2015, 2016, only recently. Um, 20, I think it could be 2016. But you know what? When Trump took over, he went crazy. He intensified the follow-ups, man. I think he's been. I think he did like maybe 20 follow-ups already oh, in the past wow. four years. Obama did maybe seven, six, seven. Yeah, Trump did 20. It's a lot of follow-ups. The thing about follow-ups is. You send your navy across these waters, right? And what they do is this, right? They will when they pass through the the seas, right? Um, this is the dispute, lah. China U.S. dispute over interpretation of law. China claims that you cannot pass through my EEZ exclusive economic zone, which is the 200 nautical mile from your coast, where you can regulate economic activities. Uh, for example, if you want to exploit the oil, you can do that. The international law states that you can you cannot regulate uh, military activities in your EEZ. That means you cannot restrict ships from moving into your EEZ, according to mm-hmm. UNCLOS, which is an international law. So that's the majority interpretation of the law, including US. 
But China and a few others, including Malaysia, you know why? Malaysia, we think that you can regulate uh, all activities within the EEZ. Uh, now, US said, fuck off, you can't do that. You're not following the law. Uh, and so the, the problem is this. When, when, when US used the US Navy to cross EEZ of China, Malaysia, whatever, um, China is the only country that sends their Navy to tell the US Navy to fuck off. Mm. And what happens is this, right? 2018, there was an incident where the USS Decatur, nice name, uh, they were caught, they were doing a phone op, and there was another freaking US dis- Chinese destroyer that wanted to cut, wanted to harass the the USS Decatur by by literally passing by the ship, and they almost collided. Mm-hmm. What would happen if they collide? I don't think. Anything good will happen, right? There could be uh, there could be some serious repercussions. Uh. There could be an armed conflict mm-hmm. if this happened, right? Could be a crisis. Could be an armed conflict. So that's why FONOPS is dangerous mm-hmm. when US does do this FONOPS. But um, okay, the reality is this: US has no strategy in South China Sea. They don't have a strategy. The only strategy is to do FONOPS, and that's it. Okay. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So that I think that like covers where we stand right now. I'm gonna hand you over to Deva to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, uh, so Zayim, yes, um, you were speaking about the nine dash line just now, right? Yeah. Um, can you tell me what do you think would this nine dash line, uh, what would be the repercussions to Malaysia if um, China were to claim all the islands within that nine dash line? And manage to yeah. control them, yeah. Mm. Man, I, I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a. Okay, so the scenario is this, right? China decides to go to all the features mm-hmm. in South China Sea, occupy, mm-hmm. kick out all the all the other countries out of the islands, right? Yeah. Out of the features, right? It'll be a total war. It'll be a war. It'll be a war. Mm-hmm. The reason is this, right? So China's strategy is called salami slicing. Salami slicing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Death by a thousand cuts, right? Yeah. Um, and salami slicing, I mean, I'm simplifying this. There's actually a bigger strategy, but it, I think it's too complex. I think your brain will get fried. I already talked about Hong Kong just now. You guys are like, what the fuck is international law? <laughs> uh, if I were to talk about Chinese strategy, you die as well, right? Uh, so, Chinese strategy, uh, if one of the Chinese strategies is called salami slicing, whereby you take a number of measures under the threshold of war to change the status quo to your favor. So, they, what they do is this, right? Um, if... Um, so what, what they usually do is they harass a particular island. So in Philippines, there's an island called Titu, right? Titu Island. And in Titu Island, there's a base there. Uh, and so what China did was China sent out 200, 300 ships, right? Fishing ships to harass all the ships going in and out of the Titu Island in the hopes of eventually telling the Philippine government, keep doing what you're doing, but eventually we're going to fuck you up, right? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna harass you until you give up, right? Uh, and that's what they're doing now. They're trying to do this. They're trying to harass people's islands by, you know, doing all the ships, you know, ramming their ships into other people's mm-hmm. ships. Um, and it's being uh, arguably effective because you're not using the Navy, so you're not, you're not risking war. But if, let's assume, right, that Xi Jinping one day said, let's escalate, right? Let's escalate. Let's yeah. use the Navy. Let's fuck up the mm-hmm. whole region, right? Um, what will happen is, uh, if, they do it to, if they do it to Philippines, they will trigger the Philippines-US um, Mutual mm-hmm. Defense Treaty. Mm-hmm. And that will require US to send their Navy to confront the, the Chinese Navy. Uh, if you heard of NATO, right? NATO has this clause where an attack on one country is an attack yeah. on all countries. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. So if you attack Philippines, you attack US. So you can you actually can you can actually reduce a, a, a war. Uh, but um, whether it, I mean let's just say it happens, right? Let's just say they they attack Tito Island or they attack Philippines. US, what they might do is to send their, their strike force, right? Their navy. If you see the navy, it's scary, man. Seriously, it's scary. One aircraft carrier with fucking five other destroyers, right? Imagine three of that coming towards your country. It's mm-hmm. scary, man. Any country that sees that happening, right? If you see that happening towards your country, even China will be sketchless if they see that happen. So uh, a war could happen, but I think they might resolve it peacefully. Yeah, okay, so um, as you said, a war might happen, but uh, we most most probably we would uh, resolve it diplomatically. Lah. Yeah. Okay, um, 
well, how do you think the US will intervene? Yep. Let's say there is an escalation of this sort. How do you think the US will intervene? Um, if again, if if you look at the, actually, right in in America, a lot of the the foreign policy in America in many ways is determined by the president, right? You have policies in place, but the president usually would determine the tone of of the policy. What we see in Trump is Trump doesn't really care about the South China Sea. He just wants to piss China off. Uh, if Obama did a pivot to Asia, which is engagement with uh, ASEAN and um, sort of um, holding the line against China, Trump did a, a trade war to 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 punish China. So, if there is an event whereby uh, Philippines, which is a US ally, is attacked, I highly doubt Trump will come to the aid of um, of of Philippines. And uh, if you read the news, right, there was a recent. Program called the Visiting Forces Pro- Agreement in Philippines. This is this is VFE for short. VFE is the mechanism that allows US to operate in Philippines. It has to be renewed by both uh, China, uh, by Philippines and US. Trump told Duterte, the president of the Philippines, that he will he doesn't care if Duterte um, tears apart mm-hmm. the agreement. He doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Based on what we are seeing under the Trump administration, it's unlikely that. U.S. might come to the aid of ASEAN unless Trump decides one day that it's important for him. But if Trump loses and Biden takes over, you would see a more aggressive stance against China, not just militarily, diplomatically, propaganda, the whole the right. whole nine yards. He might show, yeah, might throw the whole um, uh, the kitchen sink against China. Mm-hmm. You you mean that Trump would? Would do this if he lost to Biden, or did it, that Biden's policy would be more aggressive? Trump, Biden's policy might be more aggressive, not because of Biden himself, uh, but because of yeah, the right. people around him. His his uh, team is very mainstream guys. Right? They're, they're very mainstream folks. They're like, oh, China's bad. You know, let's do this. Trump is just he doesn't really have a foreign policy team. He's just like a bunch of guys. I mean, he finds so many of them, uh, but his thinking is like, oh. Okay, this is bad. Let me see if it's. Let me see if I need to do anything about it. So he may decide, I don't want to do anything about it. Or he may decide, let's let's launch the carrier strike against uh, China. But I, Trump, from what I've observed for the past three years, four years, he doesn't really care about South China Sea, and and also because of domestic politics, people in America don't really care also about South China Sea. Right. So for him, he doesn't play to his audience. Right. Uh, actually, maybe uh, on that right. note, right. So in. Relation to what you just mentioned about Trump and his view on the South China Sea, and in regards to including a player like Taiwan, where China has basically staked a lot of claim over Taiwan as one China, right? And a lot, yeah. a lot of people would say, obviously, like the development of these bases are strategically also to protect uh, Taiwan from being interfered from the US, for example. So does that sort of hold true for Taiwan, for example, if there was an interruption of Taiwan being included into China, but then Trump won't come in, won't come in the aid as well if there's, a, if there's an altercation? Yeah, so when, when we're talking about US foreign policy, right? The, Taiwan is seen as the, the cardinal policy in, in mm. East Asia. Uh, is one of the it's one of the few countries that U.S. Um, made a commitment to protect in the event of an invasion from mm. PRC China. Um, now, if you link South China Sea with Taiwan, mm. right? Yes, then U.S. might mm. do something, right? But again, the problem is the unpredictability of Trump's behavior. Mm. So what happens is this: you have the military and the foreign policy people in Washington mm. D.C. that are arguing for a particular mainstream mm. decision. For example. If China attacks uh, Taiwan, they say, "Do what we always do, right? Respond in right. in full force." Which is what uh, Clinton in the 1990s, when when China wanted to, when China launched missiles over Taiwan, Clinton sent an aircraft carrier strike, uh, uh, aircraft strike carrier group to Ch- uh, to the Taiwan Straits, and uh, China backed off. China was mm. scared, right? Mm. Um, but that I suspect is because of the rational and um, even not more rational, but more of the deliberative discussion that uh, Clinton has mm. with his team. But with Trump, we don't know because he doesn't really have the discussion and deliberation mm. with his team. For him, it's more like I think we should do this. Therefore, right. let's do that, right? So it's hard to it's hard to predict what would US do under Trump. 
but it's a lot easier to sort of understand if it's under Joe Biden or if it's under you know other presidents because you sort of know the track record in mm. in, in politics, mm. you know where they where they mm. stand on mm. issues. Okay. Deva. Uh, okay. Um, so Zayn, um, can you please um uh, elaborate yep. a bit about um my diplomacy's um uh, recommendations towards this issue? Sure. Um, so we um okay. Interesting, right? So, as a team, we discuss about this, uh, and one of the things that we we took note was, uh, in uh, Hijab Mudin, our Foreign Affairs Minister's Foreign Affairs Minister's uh, statement, he mentioned that diplomacy is at works behind closed doors. Uh, I think for us, it's important that um, we look at a few factors, right? I think firstly is if you go back to basics, right? Low hanging fruit, Malaysia needs to look at the ASEAN code of conduct, and actually, uh, and make sure that we raise the pressure against China. Mm-hmm. China is yeah. obviously delaying this for for many reasons. So they it's called talk and take, right? I talk mm. forever with you, but I take all these mm. islands, right? <laughs> so mm. it's it's called a strategy called talk and take. So let me say something also. Um, Malaysia needs to go back to ASEAN and say, look, let's focus on the 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 COC. They did they agreed on a draft last year. Let's continue the work on it. Let's make sure that the the COC code of conduct is being finalized, right? So that we can avoid mm. things like this, this and all. But Bigger on a broader scope, right? The Malaysian embassy has a has a sort of a more strategic thinking mm. whereby we need to start discussing of a regional security mm. architecture. I know it sounds a lot. Ah, oh, you're direct. Right? Oh, so much mm. is going on here. Regional security right. architecture, right? By the 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 in this in South China Sea, all the ASEAN member states, including China, can sit down and agree on a framework that can help us. Uh, navigate through security issues, right? So there needs to be dialogue, right? There needs to be high-level political dialogue amongst mm-hmm. member states, and it's important that we have it with China as well. We have forums like East Asia uh, Forum. We have a lot of discussions, but we have to make sure that ASEAN himself, ASEAN itself, takes ownership of this process, uh, and make sure that we can include China in discussion. Secondly, we have to talk about um, track two diplomacy. Ah, yeah, another jargon, right? Track two diplomacy is basically when When you talk amongst people, they are not part of your country. So you think of NGOs talking to mm. NGOs, right? Not not state to state, NGO to NGO. I think there needs to be a lot more discussions between NGOs in South China, uh, Southeast mm. Asia and Chinese NGOs or non-governmental mm. outfits, uh, including the legal fraternity. So we need to understand like what is Chinese legal position on South China Sea because they have this thing called lawfare, legal warfare. Ah, yeah, another one, Daila. Right. So uh, we need to have more discussions on the non-government mm. level. Very important, right? You need to understand each other's position because when there's no dialogue, there is right. war. Now, the other thing is uh, the third thing is norms, right? right? Norms. Right? Uh, yeah. You guys have heard this COVID, right? This is yes. the new norm, right? This is yes. the new normal, yeah. right? Uh, <clears throat> and norms are essentially ideas and standards that countries have, you know, in terms of uh, saying what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Because we don't have the military power, we don't have economic power, but we might have normative power. The power to shape norms, mm. ideas. Malaysia doesn't use this enough. Malaysia is a very creative country, so we can go to ASEAN and say we need to push certain mm. ideas, such as the idea of non-interference. Mm. You don't disturb me, I don't mm. disturb you. The idea of uh, joint development, right? Let's work mm. on this together. The idea of mutual resolution. These are norms that we can push as a country, as a region, towards China, so that we can eventually foster cooperation amongst two countries. Mm. Right, this is very important. We don't talk about, uh, a lot about norms, but we can start talking about how do we push ideas and norms so that we can eventually moderate the Chinese behavior against uh, ASEAN. Uh, these are crazy mm-hmm. ideas, lah. I mean, the COC is low level. The norm is like mm-hmm. high level, but yeah. the Malaysia thing is that you need to take a, a holistic mm-hmm. view in terms of uh, South China Sea. It cannot just be five feet, two months or not actionable. It also cannot be a five thousand right. year goal, right? So it has to be all short term, medium term, right, long term. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, like okay. So when when you talk about diplomacy with China, right? Uh, I from from what I've read, like one of the problems in dealing with China is that China wants to deal with each country on its own basis. It does it wants to be deal with them bilaterally, right. and of course, like a country like Malaysia, we we as we have a small. So much smaller economy, smaller military. Like if we don't have mm. as much leverage when we deal with them. So, uh, when you're talking about like a regional security architecture that can involve China, 
uh, do you see that there's a realistic prospect, at least like within the next five to ten years or so, that China is willing to participate in that kind of diplomacy where they have to deal with ASEAN or the mm. regional countries as a bloc? Yeah. Man, it's a good question. I think you look a professor, man. You're on roll today, all these IR questions, man. What the hell is going on? So, uh, <laughs> so yes and no, right? So, no, because China will be China. China is, you know, they're a strong country. They're second greatest economy, second greatest, second biggest economy in the world, right? Very strong. Um, China can say no, which is fine. Uh, but it could also be yes. In the sense that if you think about it, right, if you work in a company and you want to, you want to, negotiate on certain standards in the company, right? You want to say, hey, maybe there should be a fire hose there, right? Because what if fire happens and then we all die, right? And, but you're only one person, right? You have no impact. And then the company called talks to you, so you're like, uh, right? I don't know. But if you come together as a collective force, right, in the company, all employees come and say, boss, let's do this, right? I think the boss will take notice. I think the boss will take notice. So I think in that sense, if ASEAN member states come together and then uh, tell China that we will not talk bilaterally. We will talk bilaterally, bilaterally, bilaterally on, on some issues, but we on the South China Sea we'll talk as a group, mm-hmm. as a grouping. China might take notice, right? China might suddenly change their 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 approach strategy. Uh, if you look at the grassroots level, right, which is our level, there's not enough conversation in terms of this type of issues, because I think in many ways it's complex. As you can see, the past one hour, right, the the stuff is complex. It's not easy to explain these things, right? I mean, even if I wanted to simplify. It's difficult, right? Yeah. Because you lose sort of the 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 the, the, the details in between. Uh, but we don't see enough um, consensus or solidarity amongst the ASEAN public. And very interestingly, right? The there is a think tank in Singapore mm-hmm. where Yudin is. It's called the ISIS uh, Yusuf Ishak mm-hmm. Center. Oh, yo, super long name. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened there. Uh, they have a they have a every year they release a report. They release a report um, on the public sentiment of the public in ASEAN. And they released it this year, recently, a few months ago, I think in February. And they found that 50%, more than 50% of people in the region view China as the major actor in the region, right? And they don't see it as favorable. They don't think it's a good thing, right? Uh, and there are also, there's a, a huge percentage of people that that view uh, US as withdrawing from the region. Mm. It, it also means to, it means to say that, that maybe when, 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 when times are difficult, right? It, it, you know, the public wants change, right? So let's just say that it doesn't work when China, let's just say you, what you mentioned doesn't work, right? China doesn't want to uh, negotiate multilaterally and uh, it doesn't, countries also don't want to, to, to talk uh, bi- uh, bilaterally, right? Yeah. Maybe there is a need to talk about creative solutions, right? Maybe we can bring in a mediator, mm. right? Maybe we can bring in Norway. Guys, Norway is crazy. Norway is solved so many issues in this world, man. They're like the... The world's mediator of issues. You know that? I don't know that shit. It's crazy. No way. We can bring in. We can bring in these guys, guys. We can bring in. We can bring in you guys. Nice. You. We can bring in other actors, yeah. right, to yeah, help us yeah. out in this issue. We don't have to do it alone. So remember, if you fight your girlfriend, right, you cannot dissolve this issue, right. Just bring another friend and help you out, right. It could work. Right. That is that is true diplomacy, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, do you have any other questions, guys? No, I think Zayim has done yeah. a really good job, and I love the way like you use analogies yeah, to explain fantastic. these issues. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I know you keep saying that you use jargon, but like we don't need to put an appendix yeah, or something yeah, yeah, in yeah. this episode to explain all that. If yeah, you've managed to like really uh, put it across succinctly, I think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um. Actually, so yeah, you know, even uh, I mean, I don't have any other questions. Like one of the, one of the main questions that were that's constantly brought up in the news, especially in recent recent times, right? As these tensions are arising, is that is China taking advantage of the COVID nineteen situation to advance its efforts here? But I mean, there's evidence to suggest that there hasn't been an increase or a surge, right? It's just that there's been a continuation of the advancement. There is no recent uh, magnitude there's no increase in the magnitude in terms of deploying additional troops etc to all these specific bases in the islands it's just it's business as usual right so uh, yep. would you sort of agree to that is that um, 
is this part of the overall agenda that there, there's no change in agenda actually despite what's happening internally and around the globe as well but is this also sort of a, a bullying where china is very much well aware that with this pandemic that's affecting the nation's stability right that is still continuing yep. to do this advancements to weaken to sort of take advantage of their weakened position regard, without actually advancing and spending economic resources on their own advancement by deploying like more troops and etc yeah you know it, it's not an easy question to answer because in some ways china has been doing this anyways right mm. so it was new at the same time covid has changed everything right so many people were not happy when when um, the stand off happened because yes the perception was china was taking advantage of covid because the countries were distracted with covid and then they were doing mistakes right uh, but at the same time is business as usual for china and yeah. there's nothing new right they will argue that their their patrol of the south china sea was just part of their maritime mm. enforcement right law mm. enforcement because the south china sea is mm. theirs <laughs> so therefore they're just enforcing laws um but you have to look at it from a geopolitical mm. lens which is which is a big word but in a sense it's just us and china mm. fighting each other right uh and and what happened was the statement that that came against china's actions came from the state department mm. not trump huh? again interesting yeah not trump came mm. from the state department and they said that china was taking over taking advantage mm. of covid um and and mm. and doing this but if you look at the broader context the strategic us china mm. competition which is something that most people like to to talk at very mm. big terms um against the backdrop again you know, on covid right you know the the china accusing uh, us accusing china of uh, creating covid and then mm. vice versa mm. right mm. it's crazy mm. accusations mm. against each other uh very very interesting and uh, very very funny uh, conspiracy theories that i have to say very funny reading all the theories mm. like what the hell is going on so this is the geopolitical warfare geopolitical rivalry between the two countries uh and as a country like us right small country even like singapore even mm. smaller country uh it is important that countries um they, they, we need to look at the issue uh not from the lens of mm. these two countries not from the american lens or not from chinese lens mm. right because that's what you usually read right? when you read news you're reading mm. from their lens you have to read it from mm. our lens um what is the malaysian angle what is the singaporean angle this is very important uh not not much is talk about this uh and at the end of the day right when you're able to say that this is actually a, a rivalry between these two countries and that we are we take notice but we don't want to uh fan the flames of of mm. this rivalry then i think it's good Uh, because not much discourse is actually uh, had amongst our people in terms of this issue. What we read in the news is usually manufactured and produced by either the Western media or the Chinese media. Either one, mm. if you read, right? South China Media uh, Morning Post, uh, SCMP, mm. China, or you read CNN or you read um, Fox News or whatever, right? So different angles. But what about the Asian angle? It's something that I, to be honest, don't really come across yeah. that much. I don't really see a lot of. The, the Asian angle, and I think this is the worrying part: is that we don't have enough content to show what is the opinion of Asian people towards this issue. Yeah, that's a major uh, concern in terms of the yeah. media. Right. Okay. Um. I think that also satisfies m- my question. And uh, so, just one one last round across the guys. Do you have anything else to add or to ask? No. Yeah, okay. Uh, Zaim, do you have any questions yeah. for us? Maybe. <laughs> So tell me more about this. Oh, uh, tell me more about the the idea, right? Uh, maybe not the idea, but the what is the grand strategy for 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 this podcast? I think I, I think it's fascinating. You have so many diff- such a diverse podcast, right? But what is sort of the grand strategy? Uh, Bamba, why don't you take uh, over? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, basically, the, the podcasting is kind of exploding right right now, and even in Malaysia, like you have a lot of new podcasts coming up, but. Uh, Nothing really talking about like big issues and taking a deep dive into uh, like current affairs or you know things that really affect us. So okay, that was one angle on it. We wanted to like uh, have people on and talk about these issues for an audience that's like our mm. age, you know, millennials or younger. And uh, it's the pendulum show because what we are trying to do is of offer uh, both sides of the issue. Like we want to offer both. Perspectives in any uh, issue, so like it's a pendulum because like it swings from one end to the other. So we we mm. don't want to like we don't want to let like our own biases um, 
color our color our show rather we want to like expose people to all points of view all perspectives yeah so that's what we are trying to do with the pendulum and like i i think we we're still in the early phases in in terms of like getting the right yeah. equipment uh uh finding great guests i mean like i, I think that you are easily like one of our yeah, best guests hands down show. hands down <laughs> yeah is it a line no. one no you heard the show right <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean you yeah. can hear our podcast. I mean, I don't yeah. think we say this as often as we do. Yeah, but Equan was good. I really enjoyed the one with Equan. Good. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so we're yeah. trying to have more of these discussions, mm. right? Because when we when we have these episodes, we don't actually claim to be like authorities on the subject, right? We're trying to actually just spark like dialogue with what you say within uh, within each other amongst each other and have that curiosity for you to go and research deeper into these issues because there's only so much we can say within a an hour podcast or even a 45 to a 55 minute podcast right so it's just uh, very yeah. important that we actually just get get started by talking about these issues and at least it starts from us yeah that's cool man yeah. really, I think I think it's doing good work I think I've, I'm a big fan of podcasts I listen to mm-hmm. so many right and uh, I think one of the things that I don't listen, I don't listen enough to is um, like sort of like local local podcasts. I don't. I think there's a there's a growing uh, sort of mm, growing. Yeah, it's in, growing. In, yeah. Now we just, I think I've not. I mean, I've not been listening to enough. So I think it's good that you guys are coming on this type of stuff. Thanks, man. Well, like you're it. going to be on a local podcast, so Thanks. <laughs> hopefully you listen. Yeah. To this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, um, okay. That's about it for the show, everybody. Uh, thank you to Zaim from My Diplomacy for welcoming us and joining us today and talking about the South China Sea dispute. And from all of us at the Pendulum Show, we're signing out. Good night, everybody. All right, okay. cheers. Okay.